Hello, and welcome to the latest ClearBridge podcast. This is Jeff Schulze, CFA, Head of Economic and Market Strategy at ClearBridge Investments. ClearBridge is a global equity manager with $165 billion in assets under management, committed to delivering long-term results through authentic active management. We integrate ESG considerations into our fundamental research process across all strategies. As we plow through the dog days of summer, equities are beginning to show signs of fatigue with the S&P 500 index and NASDAQ composite trending towards losses for the month. And we are just two weeks away from September, traditionally the worst month of the year for stocks. Perhaps equities need a breather after a strong start to 2023. One area we are watching to determine their path through the rest of the year is earnings, which held up better than expected in the latest second quarter earnings reports and are projected to improve through the back half of the year. Here to help me assess strengths and weaknesses in earnings, stocks, and the economy are Mike Kagan, Portfolio Manager for the ClearBridge Appreciation Strategy, and Matt Lilling, Portfolio Manager for the ClearBridge Midcap, Midcap Growth, and SMIDCAP Growth Strategies. Mike and Matt, welcome back to the podcast booth. And I'm thrilled that you're able to join me in a popular vacation month. We'll be discussing risks and opportunities for the second half of the year in today's podcast, Can Earnings Sustain the Bull Market? Obviously, that's the key question on investors' minds. And gentlemen, thank you so much for, for joining me today. Thanks, Jeff. Jeff, thank you very much. Now, coming into the year, I don't think a lot of investors saw earnings holding up as good as they have been with the most anticipated recession ever back in January. But as we move through the second quarter earnings season, it was a low bar and low bars are meant to be beat. And that's exactly what we've seen. Earnings have topped estimates for the S&P 500 by 7.5%, which is a huge number this quarter. Even better than last number, 6.5% beat. But looking at it more broad-based, 79% of companies have beat expectations, which is the highest level that we've seen since the second half of 2021. Clearly, the markets have been choppy. There is a lot of sentiment and positioning that were already stretched entering into this reporting season. So it's been more of a sell the news type of situation. But the key question is whether or not this can continue. But before we talk about what we expect going forward, I think it helps to look at how we got here. So, Matt, I'm going to start with you. Clearly a different dynamic than what we were seeing at the October lows last year. In your opinion, what's changed and how have we got to this point today? It may feel like there's a lot of uncertainty in today's market, but it's a lot less than it was 12 months ago. If you put yourself in summer of 2022, we had war in Ukraine breaking out, causing runaway energy pricing. Inflation was running up high single digits. Rates were going up at an accelerating rate, and we had fears of growth slowdown on the other side. Investors didn't know what normalized earnings could look like in a couple of years, And if they did, they didn't know what the terminal risk-free rate was going to be, so they couldn't assign a multiple to those earnings. If you put yourself into our shoes where we are today, energy fears have subsided. Inflation has subsided meaningfully. We still aren't sure exactly what the final risk-free rate's going to be, but we're largely stable. And at the very worst, we've seen uh, a slowdown in the raise of rates. Growth has hung in there, like you said, stronger than we've expected. And investors now have much more certainty in how they might look out 18 to 24 months from now and and what earnings a company might be able to um, put up and what multiple that they could assign to those earnings. Right. So if you're not going to have this start and stop type of economy and a lot of these risks have subsided, that's a key reason, obviously, why you've seen this huge rally this year. I'm not saying it's all blue skies ahead, but we're in a materially different place in a sentiment perspective than when we were 12 months ago. 
Now, Mike, can you comment on, you know, the risk-off conditions that we saw last year and, and kind of the risk-on that we've seen so far in 2023? So the big concerns last year were inflation, which was huge. Almost double digits at one point. Yes, like we haven't seen since the 1970s. And I don't think that it's random that the market bottomed when rates peaked in October of last year. And so as the rates began to peak, as we began to see inflation come off, people began to feel a bit better about multiples, right? A lot of the big decline in the market last year was multiples rather than earnings. And multiples went from 21 times earning down to 15 at the trough, yeah. Right. So the issue going forward here would be then with rates now hitting new highs, higher than the October level, and valuations very high back up to the levels that they were before, are we at risk? So let's talk about a couple things, which is first, last year things really got overdone in the fourth quarter to the point of craziness even. So Tesla was trading at 18 times earnings. Wow. I mean, we maybe had some concerns with Tesla's valuation earlier in the year, but at 18 times earnings, the stock was a screaming buy and we were buyers. Pretty, pretty fat pitch. Yes. And it wasn't just Tesla. It was lots of good quality companies, lots of aggressive growth companies. And so the rally that we saw in the first quarter was probably justified because things were really overdone. And then the AI thing that came was amazing. Now, look, I've been skeptic on AI forever. It's been the next great thing for 50 years. And when Microsoft made the chat GTP announcement, I continued to be skeptical. But I was listening, and I heard a telephone call about seven days after the announcement that changed my mind on it. And what I learned was that a year prior, zero code lines were written by AI. And by the Microsoft announcement, 50% of all the code lines in the world were written by chat GTP already. Wow. Now, that is real. And so all of a sudden, okay, here we have a practical application for this for the first time. And so AI is meaningful. And the other thing I heard on that call was that demand for AI compute cycles was doubling every four months, which is insane. Those numbers get very big, very fast at that level. And I was skeptical that things could be that good, but nonetheless, you had to put credence to it. And so we began to accept and started to invest in AI at that period. And AI and companies that have benefited from AI have been a huge piece of the rally this year. NVIDIA results that happened in May actually justified that doubling every four months. And so that's wild. They're going to be reporting earnings next week, and we'll see whether that continues. And that rate of doubling is going to be a critical factor for whether these big cap tech companies continue to lead the way that they have. I would say also that earnings year over year for the market are down. So all of the increase that we've had in the market is from higher multiples. So we do have to be careful about that. So I, I would say in any event that, that there are some good reasons for the market to have rallied. The other thing, of course, is that we may very well have soft landed. And if we do, that's awesome. Well, it's not uncommon for multiples to lead earnings, right? Markets are pricing in an earnings acceleration, which is typically what you see off major lows. But there kind of begs the question, right? Are we going to head into a recession or is it going to be a soft landing? And I know a lot of the data here has supported a soft landing, but it's important to remember that the LEIs, or Leading Economic Indicator Index, just came out today with its 16th consecutive decline, right? The only two times you've seen this eclipse was in 1973 and in the global financial crisis. So still an active debate there. But Matt, I, I want to talk to you why that debate might not matter. I know that you think that there's pockets of the economy that can do well in a recessionary environment or if indeed the soft landing is playing out. So where are those pockets of opportunity? One of the areas we see a lot of opportunity is in the industrial economy. 
there's several trends that are driving economic activity there, regardless of interest rate environment. The Infrastructure Act, the Inflation Reduction Act, the CHIPS Act, nearshoring as our economy decouples from China, they're all driving heavy capital spending in the United States right now, regardless of consumer demand and regardless of interest rates. Anywhere else? Well, the other thing that I would add on to that is that deflationary input prices in 2023, combined with increased pricing that's flowing through now from last year, they've created really strong earnings support for industrial companies. And that's supported earnings through margin expansion. While that necessarily isn't sustainable going into 24, earnings have continued to grow while supply chains have gone through destocking, which is creating easier comparisons for volumes going into next year. So it's not necessarily a straight line up, but there's a lot to be excited about in the industrial economy. We've seen a lot of other industries like semiconductors, life science, R&D, and the chemical sector all go through periods of negative growth, negative volumes, destocking in their inventory channels. And those industries should all see easier comparisons going into 2024. Well, if they've done through the destocking cycle, right, the dreaded bullwhip that usually happens and is a pretty big headwind to margins and earnings isn't really going to be a factor for these areas. Right. Mike, I know that there's another area of the market that you're positive on, which is the commodity complex, materials and energy. I think a lot of people would probably be surprised to hear this, but if you look at the S&P 500, energy right now has more issues above the 50-day moving average and the 200-day moving average than tech. It's kind of an interesting statistic, and it's you've obviously seen some momentum gained in those areas. So do you think that this is something that's sustainable, and what's really driving this move higher in that, that area? So I'm going to echo Matt's comments here on inventories. When you look at major commodities, whether it's oil, whether it's steel, whether it's aluminum, the inventories have destocked severely, and they're all well below 10-year averages right now. And normally, the biggest pressure that you have on prices, the biggest pressure that you have on commodity company earnings is when you're destocking. Once it's over, you have opportunities. Prices are much more likely to go up than they are to go down. And it's interesting that the whole world isn't great right now. China, which is a huge demander of commodities, is weak. And India is doing okay. The United States is doing okay. Japan, I think, is the only major economy that's really doing very well right now. That's not typically the environment where demand would be all that strong. But it seems like the reason that things are so tight is because supply is weak. That's fascinating. I think there are opportunities. The commodity companies are cheap. If we do have a soft landing, these are stocks that are going to do very, very well. If you don't have a soft landing, the stocks are cheap enough and the damage has been done, the stocks are probably attractive risk rewards here. So the downside is already probably priced into these stocks. You know, if you continue to have this tight supply situation and demand it just remains relatively resilient, there's probably some more upside to go here. Right. An analogous situation would be we were looking at and bought commodity companies in March through September of 2020. The economy was looking pretty awful due to COVID, but the stocks got clobbered the, the stocking had happened, and it seemed like there were opportunities there, and those were some of the very best stocks. So, no, my concerns about the economy right now are much more about the Fed and about inflation, and in particular wage inflation, because the Fed really seems to be determined to get rid of wage inflation. And what I see out there is a lot of pressures. So whether it's the UPS settlement, which is a 3.3% compounded wage increase, whether it's the UAW talking about striking and looking for much higher wages from the auto companies, 
whether it's Walmart and TJX and Target all increasing their SGNA uh, expectations and lowering their operating margin expectations due to higher wages. There's real pressures out there in the economy that are consistent with a very low unemployment rate. And so my concern is if the Fed is serious about squeezing out wage inflation, that if the economy should accelerate, that they're going to jam the brakes on. Well, I think the Fed wants to go down the path of least embarrassment. If you think about a shallow recession because they over-tightened or letting inflation get out of control like the 1970s, I think it's clear which path the Fed would probably like to go down. So I'm in your camp. I think there's going to be higher for longer, tighter policy, even if you do start to see this momentum slow down. But you alluded to the Fed being one area of concern, at least for the durability of U.S. economic momentum. What other concerns do you have out there that you're seeing that maybe this pulse of growth that we're seeing, strong industrial production releases, consumers holding up with the retail sales number we just saw, what other concerns do you have as we kind of turn the page to 2024 for the economy's trajectory? So one thing, you mentioned that the LEI, the leading economic indicator, is negative. So some of the important components that we look at are rail car loadings, which have been running low, single digits, negative, and now actually seem to be accelerating to the downside. So now looking mid-single digits, negative. Truck loadings also looking weak. Those are excellent coincident indicators and indications that there's some strains. Again, when you look at those Walmart and TJX and Target results, Walmart and TJX had better than expected comps, but it was more on the Walmart side on grocery, and consumables were pretty weak. Target actually had a disappointing comp store sales number on the consumable side, especially. Groceries, again, were okay. And then TJX is really a beneficiary when people are trading down. So it seems like the lower end of the economy right now is struggling a bit right now and has been for the last five quarters. So I have some concerns there. And if you look at revolving credit, it's been up and to the right, a very strong increase of revolving credit. But interesting, the release last month, Revolving credit was actually negative, so it might be a sign that you are seeing some strain with lower-income consumers, especially with credit card rates at record highs. Or strains from the banks. Lending standards are in recessionary territory as well. Yeah, so an inverted yield curve strains the banks. It means that they lose money on loans, and so they have to restrict and be very careful about credit. And they're the key source of credit for small and medium businesses, which is half of the economy. I saw a chart the other day from Strategus that indicated that small and medium business confidence is at the lowest that it's been since the great financial crisis. That's not a good sign for the economy there. So there definitely are reasons for concern. While the yield curve has gotten a little bit less inverted, it still is quite inverted right now. And again, this is a matter of Fed policy. If the Fed is determined to squeeze out inflation, then we're probably going to see an inversion for an extended period of time. Again, that active debate, recession, soft landing, still very live. And I think we're going to be talking about this for the next one to two quarters until that gets some visibility on the trajectory in 2024. But Mike, you'd mentioned something earlier, and I want to kind of circle back to the markets and the mega caps doing so well, the AI beneficiaries. And if you look at the equal weighted S&P 500 relative to the what I'll call FANG Plus index or the Magnificent Seven, It's actually gone nowhere over the last two months, right? So you're not really seeing that trading tone that was evident in Q1 and Q2. So the question I have for you, it sounds like you do have a lot of optimism about the potential for AI. Is this just a temporary pause or consolidation after a big move and you're expecting some more upside and better earnings growth that's being embedded in those stocks? Or is this a sign of potential trouble for these stocks moving forward? Well, I think if the rates move higher, it's a sign of trouble because it limits their ability to increase their multiple. And 
there's also AI is not an unmitigated positive. There are winners and there are losers. And in particular, what you have to watch out for is crowding out. So if you're spending all this money on NVIDIA graphics chips and AI processors, at some point you run out of money, even if you're Google and Microsoft who are generating such enormous amounts of cash. And so you stop spending on traditional processors and storage and other things. So there's a limit to this. So this doubling that we've seen, even if the real demand is there, you may not be able to meet it. And you may not be able to go and actually invest enough. And so they will definitely be crowding out. So you do have to be careful about what you own. And it also means that the growth doesn't keep on going up and to the right. There's a constraint here. Well, you know, an interesting dynamic, in the at least in the large cap space. I had portfolio analytics run this this morning. And if you look at the top 10 market cap weighted constituents of the S&P 500, their estimates for 2023 earnings are up 16% since the beginning of the year. The bottom 490 is down 6%. So you've obviously seen this bifurcation of earnings expectations and what investors are anticipating going forward. But Matt, in your space, in the SMID space, is that the case as well? Or what are you seeing there? Has there been just a handful of leaders from an earnings expectation standpoint? Or are you seeing things broaden out a little bit better and you know that could lead to maybe some more momentum as you look forward? We've heard a lot about the narrow market in the mega cap space. And in the SMID space, it's been less true. There's been uh, more market breadth. While tech has been strong in small and mid-cap, industrials have shown strength. Home-building stocks have shown a lot of strength. Those are all small and medium-sized companies. Which is interesting, right? With rates being where they are, you want to expect home-builders to be showing signs of life. Well, it's another really good point where there are pockets of strength that we've been talking about. With rates so high and consumers having locked in low mortgage rates, there's an unwillingness for people to move. I know. I'm, I'm in that camp for sure. And so... Existing home sales are near cycle lows, and people have to live somewhere. So home builders, the sentiment behind home building stocks and building material stocks that sell into those companies has been very strong. While we're talking about rates and SMID cap companies, that's been one of the reasons why SMID has trailed larger cap market performance in this current recovery. The rising rate environment impacts these companies much more than bigger companies. Rising interest rates cuts into free cash that these companies need to spend on R&D and sales and marketing. And it really, along with the inverted yield curve and the pullback from the regional banks that Mike's talking about, there isn't unlimited financing for smaller companies today like there used to be at near zero rates. So today, a SMID cap company with a strong balance sheet and ability to self-finance projects is a real competitive advantage. Now, Talking about earnings expectations here, looking out to 2024, and growth rate is expected to be 12% over the next 12 months. So if we chop off the back half of next year, 10% expected earnings growth, revenue growth, 4%, margin expansion, 75 basis points for the S&P 500. I want to get both of your takes and as we close out the podcast here on whether or not you feel that that's a realistic expectation or are the markets embedding too much optimism. Mike, maybe I'll, I'll start with you and I'll, I'll turn it over to you, Matt. My feeling is, again, that it really depends on the Fed. If the Fed is going to keep on raising rates because it needs to suppress wage inflation, then we're going to have a recession and those numbers are too high. If we get lucky and somehow we can manage not to have that wage inflation and not to have higher rates, then yes, it's possible. Matt, what's your thoughts? Mike makes a great point about the Fed. And we're more bullish on earnings than others. 
but it's still a very nuanced situation, which is a great call for active management. And so, like we said, we got mortgage rates at all-time highs, creating this odd dichotomy between home builders and repair and remodel stocks, which are not performing well. We see the strength in the industrial economy, but on the other hand, we're worried about the consumer as debt repayments start to come back later this year. So from our perspective, it comes down to being able to invest across an entire economic cycle. We don't know where the recessions are going to happen. We don't try to necessarily predict them, at least we don't. But if we focus on company-specific stories with strong balance sheets that can thrive in any environment and continue investing in their business, especially during a higher rate environment, I think we're going to come out on the right side in the long run. Yeah, that's very interesting about home builders. Again, with mortgage rates likely approaching 8%, continue to downperform on a relative basis. This is very a very interesting cycle indeed. Well, it's amazing when you underperform by two years of demand or you, you produce two years worth of demand less than you need over a decade, which is what happened during the decade of the teens. There's a lot of pent-up demand there. And I would argue a very big runway as the largest generation, the millennials, enter into their household formation years. From my vantage point, look, I think earnings are a little bit too optimistic for the environment that we're anticipating, certainly expecting a slowdown, maybe even a recession. And maybe to give some historical context here, over the last three recessions, earnings expectations have moved down by about 26% on average. You strip out 08, that number drops to 19% because, again, this is a very different environment than what we saw in 08. And the non-recessionary decline since 98, earnings expectations moved down by 3.4%. Today, from peak levels, earnings expectations are down about 5.7%. So we're kind of in the middle. Markets are unsure whether, again, we're going to have that soft landing or recession. But again, given the recent economic strength that we've seen, the recession certainly isn't on the doorstep of the economy today, but obviously something that bears watching as we move closer to the end of the year. Mike and Matt, I, I just want to thank you both for coming in here, especially during the summer when it's hot, but sharing your perspectives with me. I know I've personally learned a lot. And I know our listeners have as well. So again, thank you for taking the time. Jeff, thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you for everybody for listening. I hope that you'll continue to join us for future podcasts throughout the rest of the year. Hope everybody has a safe and healthy rest of the summer. And as always, we welcome any questions, comments, and suggestions, which you can email us at podcast at clearbridge.com. Take care. Please note the following. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. The opinions and views expressed in today's podcast are of the individual speakers as of August 17th, 2023, and may differ from other managers or the firm as a whole, and are not intended to be a forecast of future events, a guarantee of future results, or investment advice. Any statistics referenced have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but the accuracy and completeness of this information cannot be guaranteed. Neither ClearBridge Investments nor its information providers are responsible for any damages or losses arising from any use of this information.